following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. The sacred arcana, or laws of the Tarot, are universal to every religion. Arcana, in its specific definition, refers to laws. The singular arcanum signifies an individual law. These laws are specific to the creation of any cosmos, any universe. And more importantly, in relation to our own particular development as a soul, as a consciousness that strives to unite with that divinity. Now the Torah, in Hebrew, bears a profound relevance to the Tarot, which means laws in Hebrew, likewise. And while this Tarot has been expressed within the Judeo-Christian tradition, through the mystical science of Kabbalah, this knowledge is universal. It is not limited to one particular culture, time, or place. And so every religion teaches through its symbols, its archetypes, its principles, the basic laws that guide the development of the soul in unification with the divine. Whether we give that name yoga, from the Sanskrit yug, to yoke, to unite, or the Latin religare, which means to reunite. And so these laws are synthesized in what have been come known as the 22 arcana of the tarot cards, the decks. Likewise, the 56 minor arcana, minor laws, which bear a profound symbolism that we, is valuable to study. But in this course, we'll talk about the major arcana, the first 22 cards. Precisely because in the law of numerology and mathematics, the law of divine principles, these elements synthesize within these 22 laws themselves, represented by the 22 Hebrew letters of the Kabbalistic alphabet, the language of the mystical Jews of Judaism. So I'd like to read a quote for you from the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition, Samael Onvior 
who explained how the Tarot and the Torah are synonymous and that to know the Tarot cards is to study the Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah. But of course, this knowledge, Kabbalah, is within all religions, not just Judeo-Christianity as well as Islam. Precisely because the word Kabel in Hebrew means to receive knowledge. Not from any book, from a lecture, from a scripture, but from our own awakened experience when our consciousness verifies directly the truths contained in religion. But the, Ju- the Jewish tradition is very deep and expresses this principle of the 22 arcana. And therefore it's valuable to study this aspect of religion in relation to our own development. So Samael on Vior stated the following, the Kabbalah is the science of numbers. The author of the Torah was the angel Metatron. He is the lord of serpent wisdom. Anyone familiar with Hinduism knows that the serpent is the kundalini power. And the Kabbalists refer to that energy as Shekinah. So the Bible refers to him as the prophet Enoch. He also left us the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This great master lives in the superior worlds, the higher dimensions, we can say, in the world of Atsilut, which is a world of indescribable happiness. According to the Kabbalah, this world is the region of Keter, a very high sephira or sphere. And we'll be talking about the meaning of these terms as well as in relation to the tree of life of the book of Genesis. All Kabbalists base themselves on the Torah, and it is necessary for them to comprehend the Torah and study it deeply. The universe was made with the law of numbers, measurements, and weight. Mathematics forms the universe, and the numbers become living entities. We can say there are two forms of Kabbalah. There is the intellectual Kabbalah, and there is the intuitive Kabbalah. There is knowledge we can learn from books, from writings, from lectures, from scriptures, about the structure of the soul, about the path that leads to the divine. But that is merely intellectual. It does not equate with conscious experience of the truth. Intuitive Kabbalah is the opposite. It is the verification of what has been taught by the great prophets of humanity, especially given by the angel Metatron, who is the one responsible for giving to the Jews the symbolic language of Kabbalah, the 22 Hebrew letters, which we'll be studying didactically with each major arcana of the Torah. And so this real knowledge, Kabel, to receive, real Kabbalah, is what we receive directly from the angels, not from a book or scripture, as we've been stating, but when we learn to meditate And by relaxing the body, letting the body fall asleep, we as a consciousness go into the world of dreams, but with awakened perception, not in an unconscious or dreaming state, but in an awakened, aware perception, so that we can communicate in those regions, known as heavens and religion, with the great angels. Just as Moses received the commandments from Jehovah, really he was talking about an experience he had within those dimensions, not just physically. And so, I'd like to read for you an explanation given by the book of Enoch, the third book of Enoch specifically, which scripturally emphasizes the origin of the Torah, so that we can look at a scriptural foundation for 
where these laws come from or when they were first inscribed and given to humanity. This is the fragment of Ascension of Moses. Rabbi Ishmael said, said to me, Metatron, the prince of the presence, and the prince over all the princes, and he stands before him who is greater than all the Elohim, or angels. And he goes un- under the throne of glory, and he has a great tabernacle of light on high, and he brings forth the fire of deafness and puts it into the, the ears of the holy chayot, the holy creatures of God, those beings who have fully perfected themselves. That they, may hear, that they may not hear the voice of the word, Dibur, that goes forth from the mouth of the Divine Majesty. So this is a symbolic experience that happened within those higher dimensions. When the, Moses was physically asleep, he was entering with his soul up what is called the Tree of Life, which we'll be talking about in depth today. And in those higher dimensions, those higher sephirot, those spheres of being, he had communicated directly with Metatron, and received the knowledge of the Kabbalah. And when Moses ascended on high, he fasted 121 fasts. Again, the uh, significance of numbers is very pertinent, which we'll be elaborating upon. Till the inhabitations of the Chasmal were opened to him, and he saw the heart within the heart of the lion, and he saw the innumerable companies of the hosts about him. And they desired to burn him, meaning that light, that intelligence of the divine is so intense that to our terrestrial senses, it is blinding, it is terrifying. But to the soul, it is liberating. But to our lower animal qualities, our passions, our defects, of course there is fear in relation to this direct communication with the divine. But Moses prayed for mercy, first for Israel, and after that for himself. And he's, he who sitteth on the Merkabah, the chariot of God, opened the windows that are above the heads of the cherubim, a form of angelhood. And a host of 1,800 advocates and the prince of the presence, Metatron, with them went forth to meet Moses. And they took the prayers of Israel and put them as a crown on the head of the Holy One. Blessed be He. And so as we talk about Kabbalah, Israel does not just mean the people in the Middle East, but the parts of the soul that are trapped in conditions and defects and negative psychological qualities. As we see Isis Ra'el, Isis, the divine mother of Egypt, Ra, the solar god of the divine, which the Gnostics call Christ, the light of divinity, which was manifest in Jesus. And El in Hebrew means the Lord, God. So the people of Israel are all those parts of us that are conditioned and which seek to perform the exodus up that tree of life, which we'll be talking about. And they said, from Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And their face shone and rejoiced over Shekinah, and they said to Metatron, What are these? And to whom do they give all this honor and glory? And they answered, To the glorious Lord of Israel. And they spoke, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. To whom shall be given abundance of honor and majesty, but to thee, Jehovah, Yodchava, the divine majesty, the King living and eternal. In that moment spake Akhtatriel, Yahyechod Sabaot and said to Metatron, the prince of the presence, Let no prayer that he prayeth before me return to him void. Hear thou his prayer and fulfill his desire, whether it be great or small. Forthwith Metatron, the prince of the presence, said to Moses, Son of Amram, fear not, for now God delights in thee, 
Ask that thou thy desire of the glory and majesty, for thy face shines from one end of the world to the other. This is a description of the beatitude of the soul that is enlivened by the presence of the truth in those higher dimensions. But Moses answered him, I fear lest I bring guiltiness upon myself, because when approaching that divinity, one feels that humility and that fear of transgressing that divine commandment, that divine law. Metatron said to him, Receive the letters of the oath. Receive, Kabel, Kabbalah, the 22 letters of the oath in by which there is no breaking of the covenant. The Zohar, which is the mystical book of the Kabbalah, explains some of the meanings of the congregation of Israel. Who are these people of Israel, specifically? The expression, heavenly host or congregation of Israel, in the first instance, refers to the archetypes, firstborn sons of light, or as they are termed in the book of Job, the morning stars, who along with the sons of Elohim, the angels, sang their songs of praise as one, Echad, at the creation of the world. In an extended sense, it includes Metatron, or any of the true children of light from any religion, who have attained to the divine life. So the Kabbalah is within our heart, what we have verified, what we have tested. For as the Psalms, book 40, chapter, verse 8 states, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy Torah laws are within my heart. So we'll talk about what the Torah are in synthesis. So these are the laws that guide us. These are the laws that we must study first intellectually and then verify through experience, through meditation. As we see here, we have three tarot cards, especially as publicized by NasiTeachings.org, Gloria and Publishing. And I'd like to emphasize a couple of quotes about the purpose of the tarot and as well its, its relationship to each other, each individual principle. So the tarot cards must be considered, one, as separate and complete hieroglyphs, each representing a distinct principle, law, power, or element in nature. So mathematics is intuitive. Numbers bear symbolic reference to a type of experience. When we awaken in the dream state, in those higher worlds, and we invoke the angels or the divine beings, about a particular problem we face, a challenge, an ordeal, a, a state of suffering we seek to reconcile. We ask to that divinity through certain invocations in order to receive that help, asking with our mind and heart for the solution of that problem. And divinity, whether it be from our own inner divine truth, our own being, or from an angel, they give us a number. They provide a number in specific relation to a situation that plays out in that dream world. This is the world of symbols, the world of archetypes, images, living dramas, living art. And so when we receive a symbolic dream experience in relation to a number, they're teaching us about what we need to do about our physical life, what we need to change, what is the solution to the problem. So it's always involved in relation to a number, followed by a situation. It can, be, it can actually be the image of the card. But the truth is that the tarot are not just limited to a deck. The tarot themselves are represented 
by the images of the deck itself. But the tarot are not the deck. The tarot are the principles within those images, within those symbols. And so each number is separate and complete, distinct, profound. But also these cards work together. If we use a physical deck, we can uh, fulfill a certain procedure, which we're going to explain. So these cards also are related to each other as the effect of one agent operating upon another. When we use a physical deck, asking a specific question to divinity, what we do is we have an altar. It doesn't have to be very complex or sophisticated. It could just be a, a table with a white cloth, a candle, an image of the holy pentagram, which the, is a symbol of Christ, the Christic principle. And we invoke divinity asking for the solution to whatever difficulty we have. We meditate. We go deep. We reflect. We ask for the guidance we need. We shuffle the 22 major arcana. We pull out one card. Place it face down. Shuffle the 56 minor arcana. Pull out one card. Shuffle it again. Pull out another card. You'll have a total of three cards. One, which is the major arcana, such as Arcanum 19, Inspiration, followed by Arcanum uh, 47 and 29. When you take the card, you leave the major arcana alone. You leave that number by itself, and you add the sum of the two digits of the minor arcana. For example, 47, you would add the two digits together. 4 plus 7 equals 11, and then synthesize that further. 1 plus 1 equals 2. So you want to get a number that's uh, below 10 with the minor arcana. Likewise, 2 plus 9 is 11. 1 plus 1 is 2. And therefore, you add the sum of these two cards, 2 plus 2 plus 19, which gives you the arcanum 23, known as the plower. So these numbers work together. They relate to each other. When you look for an answer or response within the decks themselves, you take into conjunction, into account, the different cards and their synthesis, as well as their relationship to each other. So you have to look at the answer was found within not only Arcanum 19, but also 47 and 29. But then the synthesis, the numbers that are added together Kabbalistically, give you the, the final answer, which 2 plus 3, which is, the, uh, is 5, which is the hierarch. So you can look at Arcanum 23, the plower, as well as Arcanum 5, the hierarch. So this is just a practical explanation of how to use these tarot within a published deck. Now, as Benley P. Hall also emphasizes in this quote from the Secret teaching, Teachings of All Ages, he explains that the tarot are vowels and consonants of a philosophic alphabet. The laws governing all phenomena are represented by the symbols upon the tarot cards, whose numerical values are equal to the numerical equivalence of the phenomena. So as I explained to you, the numbers are intuitive. Mathematics are highly symbolic. Numbers represent forces, experiences, qualities. And through this course, we'll talk about each of the 22 major arcana, and specifically the intuitive meaning of those specific arcana themselves. 
And so, as Manly Pihal states, as every structure consists of certain elemental parts, so the tarot cards represent the components of the structure of philosophy. Again, this is not academics, but philos sophia, love of wisdom, love of the truth. So irrespective of the science or philosophy with which the student is working, the tarot cards can be identified with the essential constituents of his subject, each card thus being related to a specific part according to mathematical and philosophical laws. Elvis Levi stated that, uh, very interestingly, that if one gained only knowledge of the tarot, exclusive of all other subjects, he would be uh, more competent in every spiritual study than a person who had not done such an endeavor. He states uh, specifically that an imprisoned person with no other book than the Tarot, if he knew how to use it, could in a few years acquire universal knowledge and would be able to speak on all subjects with unequal learning and inexhaustible eloquence. So we talked about the Tree of Life. This diagram with its ten spheres represents the entire universe from the highest regions of perception, of being, of divinity towards the most material, concrete, and physical forms. We talked about the region of Keter originally, which is the angel of Metatron, which is the, the top sephira at the tree of life, emerging from that abstract nothingness known as ab- the absolute. Ein, Ein Sof, Ein Sof Or. That is the unknowable divinity from which every universe emerges. That is the unmanifested divinity. It is not knowable at this level. But when we learn to experience the tree of life, we can go beyond it. The first emanation of that truth is known as Keter. It is like a spark of light that emerges from the unknowable source. And from the bottom of the tree of life, we have Malkut, which is our physical body, our earth, our kingdom. Malkut in Hebrew means kingdom. And it is the kingdom in which we must learn to conquer so that we can ascend up this tree of life back towards the origins, the source, the truth. The Torah themselves, the first ten arcana, relate to this tree of life specifically. I'd like to read for you uh, some emphasis from Samuel and Vior, who explained in his book Alchemy and Kabbalah, how the initial ten cards of the Tarot relate to this diagram. Keter, crown, the equilibrated power, the magician, the first arcanum of the Tarot, whose primeval hieroglyph is represented by a man. Followed by on the top right, Chokmah, wisdom, the popis of the Tarot. Occult wisdom, the priestess, the second card of the Tarot. The moon, primeval hieroglyph, is represented by the mouth of a man. Bina, intelligence, the planet Venus. Third card of the Tarot, the empress. Primeval hieroglyph is represented by the hand in the attitude of grasping. So these three sephiroth have been known in Christianity as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amongst the Hindus, they are known as Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Well, the, the, the first ten cards relate to the okay. specific Sephiroth oh. themselves. And 
we find that this trinity at the top is represented in every tradition. In the Nordic tradition, it is Wotan, Baldur, and uh, Thor. So you can use this image to interpret any tradition, the cosmology or the cosmogony, the pantheons. But in synthesis, these three spheres are a form of energy that emerge from that absolute source and that descend down into greater forms of materiality and experience. Beneath that, to the right, we have chesed, mercy, Jupiter, the divine being, Atman. Primeval hieroglyph is represented by a breast, the fourth card of the tarot, the emperor. Geburah, severity, the buddhic body of the man, the pope or the hierophant of the tarot, Mars, the warrior of Aries. Tifereth, beauty, Venus of Taurus, love of the Holy Spirit, the causal body of the man the sixth card of the tarot, the lover. Netzach, victory, justice of the Arcanum, the seventh card of the tarot, the chariot, Saturn. Hod, glory, Mercury of Gemini, the eighth card of the tarot, the eternity of all. Yasod, foundation, the son of Leo, the ninth card of the tarot, the hermit, the absolute. And Malkut, kingdom, the entire universe, Mary or Virgo, nature. And while this is a lot of information, we will be breaking this down systematically just to go step by step in relation to the arcana. But I wanted to introduce to you and emphasize that these 10 sephiroth of Kabbalah cannot be separated from the Torah. So each card is broken up into a series of symbols and images. Besides the plain numerical uh, equivalent within the Hebrew as well as the Egyptian. We have a sigil or glyph at the top, trinity of the card, followed by a magical symbol which uh, comes from Paracelsus, I believe, who was the great uh, physician and doctor, uh, great master of medicine, who knew the Torah very well. You have a zodiacal or letter, sim- uh, zodiacal letter or symbol, followed by the name of the card and the planet. Notice that each part of the card is broken up into thirds. We have the top third, the middle third, and the lower third, followed by the body of the tarot, which is very significant in relation to Kabbalah. We can see that the four parts of that card are known as the four worlds of the tree of life. And the four worlds of Kabbalah explain the makeup or the constitution of that tree of life in a much more profound manner. The world of absolute is a world of archetypes, principles, forces, which is that top trinity on the tree of life. It is Keter Chokmah Binah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that tri-unity, that tri-force that emerges from the unknowable divine in order to create life and create it anew to create the universe, and to also create our own interior psychological universe. We use those three forces in order to create the soul, to develop ourselves. When those three forces unite, they create something. We know that in atomics, atomic physics, that we have the proton, the affirming force, the electron, the negative force, and likewise the neutron, the reconciliating force. 
So within the atom, we find these three forces are present. In order for any universe to exist, whether from the atom or from the galaxy, these three forces are present. And likewise, we use these forces within ourselves in order to develop ourselves spiritually. So these three forces uh, create, and the next world below, Bria, is precisely related to the next trinity in the tree of life. So again, relating to numbers, the Tarot, we find that numbers are very significant in the tree of life. We have three trinities, followed by a fourth sphere, known as Asya. Bria, the world of creation, relates to our spirit, Chesed, our being, our own particular divinity, who we're going to talk about in depth today. Followed by Geburah, which is our divine consciousness. And Tifereth, the human consciousness, the human soul, willpower. Below that, that energy of creation begins to take form in terms of the mind, the heart, and our vitality. Respectively, Netzach, Hod, Yasod. Netzach means victory in Kabbalah, or in Hebrew. And it relates to the intellect, the mind. We have Hod, the emotional vehicle, the emotions themselves, the astral counterpart, the world of dreams specifically, relating to our heart. And Yasod relates to our vital depth, our vital forces, our vital energy. Below that we have Asya, the physical plane, the physical body, the world of matter and action, which is our body that we possess, which contains all the forces of the tree of life in their synthesis. All that energy from the top descends down through creation of the universe and also creation of our own body in which our soul enters in order to exist in this physical plane. These four worlds can be uh, broken down further in relation to the birth of a child. In the beginning, there is an ovum and sperm, a principle in a form or a principle that is yet to become actualized. It is an archetype. It is a blueprint for a human being. That is Atsiluth. That is the world of archetypes. Those forces are not yet active. They're not present. But through the sexual act, man and woman create. The sperm and ovum unite in order to form the child. Again, formation relates to the world of Yetzirah, which is the world of uh, crystallization and of forms, such as mind, heart, vitality. We find this in the birth of a child. And when that child emerges for the first time in the world, he, takes his, or he or she takes his first breath and is in the world of Asya, matter and action. So the book of Isaiah, verse 43, chapter, uh, chapter 43, verse 7 states, Everyone that is called by my name and whom I created for my glory, I formed him, yea, I made him. Relating to the four worlds that we see represented here. The Quran, which is the, book of the sacred book of Islam, states the same thing. In Surah 82, verses 6 through 8. O mankind, what has deluded you with regard to your noble Lord, who created you, Bria, then fashioned you, Yetzirah, then proportioned you, Asya, assembling you in whatever form he willed, from Atziluth. This is from Surah Intifar, the cleaving asunder. So the Torah synthesizes all this. So it's a very deep knowledge. Now, we're introducing this, this type of wisdom in a simple manner, but we'll be talking about these four worlds of Kabbalah throughout this course in relation to the 22 Arcana, specifically.
But let's talk about the first card of the tarot. This is the magician. The word magician comes from mag, the Indo-European word for priest, or from the Persian magush, which means priest as well, amongst the Persians. A magush, a magushin, is a spiritual master, someone who has conquered him or herself, psychologically speaking. The word uh, magician also relates to the word mahaatman, which is where we get mahatma in, in uh, Hinduism. Maha means great. Atman means soul or spirit. So this is an image of a great soul or spirit, one who has fully mastered him or herself and is indicating the path to others. The word maha in Sanskrit can also be read as maga, maga atman, which is also the word for mage, priest, magician. So in this image we see a priest holding on his left hand a staff of power, ascending up, and his right hand pointing towards the earth, pointing towards the inferior part of the card. That staff is a symbol of our spinal column, upon which the sacred force of Kundalini rises. This is the Shekinah power of the Kabbalists, the power of the Divine Mother Serpent, of which the Book of Enoch speaks. In order to ascend up to those higher spiritual regions represented by the stars of this graphic, one must learn to descend. The, the card of the magician, the priest, is about entering into suffering. It initiates, it begins a certain type of development or struggle. But of course, this magician, by his perfect serenity, establishes and explains precisely this dynamic. In order to ascend to the higher regions of the Kabbalah, the tree of life, one must face one's own psychological iniquity. One must descend down that tree of life, entering into matter and form and into states of suffering so that one can take those experiences and to return back to the source, to learn from those experiences themselves, which is synthesized by the image of the table in front of him. As Samael and Vior explains, these items are in disarray. We have a sword, representing again the spinal column, or the power of the Divine Mother, Kundalini, the sword of the Divine Masters, which rises up the spine. Likewise, we have a vase, representative of the female sexual organs, the yoni. And then we have a moon, likewise on that table. The magician must learn to use these elements on the table for his or her, or better said, his own development. That sword is the serpent power, the fire of God, the creative energies which reside in our body, specifically in the base of our spine, which through union and tantra, when man and woman unite, sexually speaking, and by conserving that power, can transform those energies and rise them up the spine to the brain. And that is signified by the staff that the magician holds in his left hand. But of course, to reach those heights, one must first confront one's psychological degeneration. We see that uh, the sword is also a phallic symbol. Likewise, the vase, the feminine yoni, the sexual organs, indicates that the magician, 
the real priest is somebody who is married. Every priest has his priestess. Jesus of Nazareth had his Mary Magdalene. Magdalene, the magician. He was a priest of Egypt and knew that science very deeply and taught it in his, his Gospels. By learning to work with that sword and that vase, when a man and woman know how to work in a matrimony, they can use that energy to ascend and create the heavens of Urania, which is the stars of this graphic. The moon on that table is a representation of the mind because the mind is the source of our habits, our problems, our difficulties. The moon indicates sorrow, pain, struggle, sentimentalism. It represents mechanicity. It's very easy to see within nature that the moon governs much of our existence. Even looking at crime rates on a full moon, there's many instances of degenerated behavior as a result of that influence, the lunar influence. Likewise with menstruation, as well as the tides, the moon is a very impactful force upon physical and psychological nature. But psychologically speaking, that moon represents egotism, defects, which must be destroyed or transformed so that that moon can become a sun. The sun is a representation of the solar logos, which the Gnostics call Christ, son of God, S-U-N or S-O-N. So who is the one that grants us the ability, the magician, to organize the table? We see that there is a bird beneath which is the ibis bird of Thoth, the Egyptian symbol of the Holy Spirit. Any bird in any religion represents the Holy Ghost, which, if we look back at the Kabbalah, we find that we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, represented by the top trinity, Keter, Chokmah, Binah. Binah is represented by a bird, the Holy Spirit, which is an energy. It is the sexual energy. That energy which can create life of a child, physically speaking, when it is harnessed in a matrimony, can be used to develop our spirituality. That is the sacrament of Rome, amore, backwards, which means love. That's the Gnostic Church. What's interesting is that the word maga also relates to the word marga in Sanskrit. Marga means path and uh, indicates the path of meditation, dhyana marga, specifically in certain scriptures. Marga also relates to mar, la mar, the sea, the ocean, which is the waters of Genesis. Those waters of creation of Genesis in which we give birth to the soul are within our creative sexual organs the gonads or the uh, uterus of the woman. Those waters of life, the seminal matter, can be conserved and transformed into energy, into light, into fire. And it becomes the sword of that magician that he wields in order to conquer his own kingdom, to conquer himself. So the path of the magician is precisely the path of a matrimony, the path of a marriage. Also, the table with its four sides re represents for us the lower quaternary of the tree of life, the lower four sephiroth, 
We have Natsakh, Hod, Yasod, Malkut. Natsakh is mind. Hod is emotions. Yasod is vitality or sexual energy. Chi, among the Taoists. And Malkut, our physical body. A magician is precisely our inner chesed, our spirit, our being. We've talked about how the soul needs to become a magician to enter the path of spirituality, to initiate, to begin a new way of life. The one who does that is precisely our own inner divinity within us. So that image of the priest is a symbol of chesed. This is our own inner God who is the only one who can help us to organize our own table, the psyche that we possess. That psyche, which is intellect, emotions, vitality, and our physicality. It's easy to sit in meditation and to observe ourselves psychologically, to see that we have many elements that are negative and that we want to change. Otherwise, we would never feel that impetus, that yearning to want to study spirituality, to learn how to escape suffering. So there are negative thoughts, there are cruel emotions, resentment, fear, hatred, etc., which condition our consciousness, condition our psyche, trap our soul within perdition. Likewise, we have our vitality, which is usually squandered in a negative manner, and we waste our vitality in many ways. It's easy enough to examine our life to see what habits we may have that uh, drain us physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. And so the magician, our inner God, is the one who must organize ourselves. We as a soul must learn to obey the divine truth. We as the consciousness, as the essence of God, is precisely that staff that the magician holds in his hand. That staff, if you're familiar with the uh, Hebrew alphabet, is a straight line, looks like the Vav, the sixth letter of Hebrew, which is a symbol of the spinal column. Which if we look in the, the last graphic, we find that the tree of life transposed upon a human being. We find that the heart embodies the third letter of the sacred name of God, yod He vav He. Yod at the top, the brain, He in the throat, the letter H, Vav, the spine, the heart, relating to our willpower, followed by He and the sexual organs. Jehovah is the sacred name of divinity. And we'll talk about the meaning of those four letters soon. But we are that Vav, that's that willpower that God can use when it obeys His, his impetus, His command. We have free will to choose to follow our conditioned psyche or to liberate the soul from its condition to the help of our inner magician, our inner priest, our inner being. So that is the path of the priest, learning to use our willpower in order to free ourselves from that which makes us suffer. And we learn that science precisely through meditation, dhyana marga. We could say that there are three forms of priesthood that the magician must follow in order to liberate the soul completely. Again, this relates to the tree of life.
we find that the lower trinity, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, mind, emotions, and vitality, relate to three forms of magic. And again, magic, priesthood, is about exercising our own willpower upon our own inner nature in order to change who we are. We see that there are other forms of magic, such as black magic, in which the person, through their egotism and their pride, uses their mind to control the minds of others, which is negative, which is what we don't teach. Instead, we teach how to follow our own inner magician, our own inner Christ, our inner inner being. Precisely by learning to follow the three priesthoods. Relating to Netzach, the mind, we have elemental magic, the work of helping the souls of nature, specifically through plants, working with the souls of plants, so as that these elemental creatures, these souls of the plants themselves, can do beneficial service to others. This is also known as hermetic magic, the science of Hermes in Egypt. In Hod, the emotions, we have ceremonial magic, ritual magic, relating to the Gnostic unction, uh, the holy Gnostic church, in which the soul receives the bread and wine of the Lord, of which we are a part of in this school. And this holy Gnostic church is not only just physical, but within those higher dimensions. We can learn to travel in the astral dimension in order to speak face-to-face with Jesus Christ and receive the bread and wine from him directly in his temple. And Yesod, we have what is known as sexual magic, which is the work of a matrimony, where husband and wife agree to work in order to develop their spirituality. So those three sephiroth below are the triangle of priesthood relating to the work of the magician. It is precisely through those forms of magic, of following divine will, in which we learn to organize our table. One thing I did not mention was that if we look at, even at the cloth or vesture of this master, our inner being, it is formed by a trinity, which is facing up. And that again refers to the three primary forces of nature, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is how the magician is empowered. Our own spirit is empowered by working with those, pow- those forces. And those forces find themselves manifested within our physicality, as well as our vitality, our emotion, and our mind, which we could say form three centers of activity, as we mentioned previously. Intellect, emotions, and our movement, our motor qualities. One thing we did not mention is that the inferior part of the card is the basis upon which the magician works. We find the cubic stone of Yesod, which Yesod in Hebrew means foundation. And this is the famous stone which the builders rejected, as Jesus said in in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 42. Did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So the Freemasons are very uh, well-versed about the cubic stone of Yesod, the foundation stone of the Temple of Mysteries. That stone is a representation of our sexual energy, our creative potential, which in us is a blackened stone. It is blackened by desire, by passion, by lust, which in the Middle East, the sacred Kaaba of the Muslims is the blackened stone that the Muslims venerate 
which in their traditions state, amongst the Sufis specifically, that that stone must become purified, whitened, perfected, chiseled to its original and pristine form in the time it was before Adam's fall from grace. So that stone is precisely the energies upon which we work because without sexual, emotional, mental energy, we cannot function. Likewise, our spirituality is based, our development is founded upon the work of that energy in a conscious and deliberate manner. Because those forces can give life, spiritually and physically. But if we learn to renounce the physical aspect of desire, of craving, of attachments, we can learn to use those forces for the truth. And so that cubic stone is also the power that can destroy oneself as well. And we find that this stone is beneath in the third trinity of the card, which is known as the, or the world of Yetzirah specifically. It is within the waters of this card, beneath the magician's feet. Again, waters reminds us of La Mer, the ocean of divinity, the Divine Mother, whose energies are manifested within our sexuality. And as Jesus stated, this stone can be the foundation of our temple or it can be the means of destroying oneself. For as he says in Mark chapter 9, verse 42, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Again, in this sense, the sea is our representation of passion, desires, etc. So the magician, a real priest, is somebody who seeks to destroy desire by comprehending it, to transform it, transmute it into cognizance, into purity, into light. He does that through his willpower, which is us, our soul, which can govern the intellect, the mind, the heart, and the body. But of course, that necessitates a training, a work with that stone itself at the bottom of the card. We also notice in this image the sign of Leo, the sign of the lion, or the lions of Judah, Yehuda in Hebrew. Judah is spelled yod Hey vav dalet Hey, five letters, which is has an additional D sound, Dalet, in conjunction with yod Hey vav Hey, the sacred name of God. So a real lion of Judah, a real spiritual person, a real magician, is a Jew. But of course, we're not referring to the physical Jews in the Middle East, but those who follow Yehu, the sacred name of God, which is synthesized as yod Hey vav Hey Jehovah. So a real Jew can be from any religion, not just from Judaism itself, but someone who has fully incarnated that light is a Jew, is a real master. And those who are degenerate are the goyim, of course, the people who are full of desire and lust, egotistical. But of course, the Jewish tradition has lost the meaning of this. But the truth is that Leo, the sign of the lion, relates to the stone because that stone is perfected or when it is perfected, it becomes the light of the sun and transforms the being into a lion, a master, signified by the crown of this initiate who has a serpent before his forehead. And that serpent means or symbolizes how that kundalini power has risen from the base of the spine to the mind and is fully illuminated. That power of yasod, of sexuality, has been raised to the mind 
in order to fully illuminate it. And so that serpent raised on the forehead signifies that this magician is, has entered into initiation, has initiated this path, who has raised those forces completely. And so the stone, again, relates to the sun, as we see in this planetary symbol, by a circle and a point. Again, the circle and the point not only represents the sun, but also represents Keter on the tree of life. So we see here that Keter is the first manifestation of the light of the divine into the universe and manifests as a single point within the circle, which is obviously this unknowable divinity in which we, or that light emerges. And if we know Hebrew, which we'll talk about the letter Yod in Kabbalah, relates with the 10th card, the 10th sphere, the top of the tree of life. But Keter is symbolized by a point in a star, or a point in a circle. So while this magician represents our own spirit, Chesed, as we look on this image above, our own divinity also, our own inner magician is also Keter. Because there's levels to God, levels of development. For us, our own inner father, our own inner being, is our Chesed, our spirit, our own inner mercy. As the Quran states, Bismillah uh, irrahman irrahim, but in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful, Rahim, relates to Ruach, spirit, which is relating to Chesed. But of course, Allah amongst the, uh, the Muslims is Keter Chokmah Bina and Chesed, because those four Sephiroth are the four letters of Arabic. And again, Arabic and Hebrew are really integral. We can study one alongside the other. And they have the same meaning. But we find that the circle of the point is the symbol of Keter, the solar logos, the Christ. Emphasized in the top of the graphic with the eyes of Ra, the solar divinity of Egypt. Those are the eyes of omnipresence, of omniscience, of consciousness, of knowing. Divinity knows all and sees all. Yes. Well, Tiferet relates to the sun, but you know, we could say that Keter is the, that point that emerges from that abstract absoluteness, that space of the cosmic mother as a point, as a yod, as a, which is just a dot in Hebrew. But uh, Tiferet does relate to that sign of the sun because in this card we find Tiferet represented by that spine, that staff, which is where the energies rise when we know how, when we use them. And so... Uh, the eyes of Ra is the eyes of the being, which are always present and knowing of the present moment. Which is the omniscience of our own divinity. Because our own divinity knows all of our psychology, our mind, our heart, our body, our actions. Um, does Keter relate to the Einstein uh, or since it's like many suns? Is Keter like an individual aspect of that? Well, Keter is the first manifestation of that light. And Ein Sof Or is the, the limitless light of the divine. If we look at the tree of life, the absolute, the unknowable divine has three aspects. Ain, which is nothingness, space. Ein Sof, the limitless. Ein Sof Or, which is that light of the absolute that has not yet manifested into creation. When that light, which is single, wants to create something, it manifests physically as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because those three forces are the what help to create any cosmos. 
So Ein Sof 4 is the spiritual sun from which that light is still unitary. But when it enters the universe, it has to create. Therefore, it divides itself into the three forces so as to reunite again and to create uh, life specifically. And that's symbolized and implied within the symbol of the sun and also the eyes of Ra. We find that the eyes of Ra form the holy eight, which we imagine a sign of the infinite traced along these eyes we will see that the eyes of Ra symbolize that, that continuity of consciousness, of knowing, of perception. The symbol of the Holy Eight is a symbol of Tantra, a symbol of esoteric Buddhism specifically, as well as Egyptian mythology. The word Tantra means continuum, flow, flux. And so the eyes of the spirit are opened when we learn to use our energies creative, sexual, emotional, etc., in a continuum. We don't break that continuum by losing any form of energy in whatever manner. Instead, we conserve those forces so that that energy becomes a flow within our psyche, which awakens powers, abilities, uh, consciousness specifically, so as to serve God, not ourselves, but the divine. Also represented in this holy eight we can transpose that image upon the spinal column. And in this next graphic, we find the caduceus of Mercury held by an angel, Raphael, representing Hermes, the science of hermetic magic. So that symbol of the caduceus is a symbol of the Holy Eight, the continuum of energies of Tantra, which rise up the spinal column. That staff is the spine, and the channels or serpents that entwine around that staff itself represent two channels of energy that we have within our vitality and as well as our emotional body and uh, the, our dream body, which we travel in the astral plane, the mind, etc., and our physicality as well. These are, not phys- these are more semi-etheric, not tangible to the scalpel, but they exist to senses that can be verified through conscious investigation. We find that we have two channels that rise from our sexual organs up to our brain, to the form of these two serpents. We call them Ida, Pingala in Sanskrit. We call them Adam and Eve in Kabbalah. Adam is the solar serpent, where certain energies of a solar type rise from our genitalia to our brain. And then Eve is the feminine aspect of that force, which rises up the spine to the brain. And of course, the analogies to serpents is very prominent within the Judeo-Christian Bible. Um, but that's another topic for another course. But we see that these serpents represent the Holy Eight, in which our creative energies can rise from sex to the brain in order to elaborate the wings of the spirit represented by this caduceus. Our spirituality is developed by working with those forces. Likewise, we see in this image seven stars above the head of the angel Raphael, which indicates for us that the lower seven sephiroth of this master, the lower seven spheres of this tree of life, have been illuminated by that top trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the sign of the infinite is the magician's staff, the staff of power. And as Samael and Vior explains in his book Alchemy and Kabbalah, the fire of Phlegathon and the water of Acheron unite in the ninth sphere. Again, tying into Greek mythology, 
this uh, ninth sphere is not just uh, the, center of our, uh, the center of the earth, of our planet, but also within our own body. Because our body is an earth. And in the very center of our body, we have the creative energy, the waters of life, which flow, can flow within us internally in order to give life. But these two channels, Ida Pingala, Adam, Eve, the two serpents of the caduceus of Mercury, have been known as the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. For as it states in chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, And I will give unto power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. As we said, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So again, relating to numbers, you add a thousand two hundred and threescore days, which is one plus two plus six plus zero equals nine. And the number nine is very prominent within not only the Quran, but also the Bible. Nine relates to the ninth sphere, Yasod. The second to last sphere from the, at the, on the tree of life. And this ninth sphere is precisely the stone which we build our temple upon. So this is the science of Mercury, Hermes. And related to Hermes, we find uh, the teachings of the Emerald Tablet, which is a teaching of sexual magic, sexual alchemy, of how man and woman can unite and purify their spirit as earth through a gentle heat and much attention, where the couple awakes that fire of love and harmony in order to control that fire and raise it up the spine into the mind. And that awakens the the wings of the spirit, which is symbolized as as the symbol of medicine in modern day uh, or modern day medicine. Lastly, I'd like to talk to you about the Hebrew letter Aleph at the top, top right corner of the image. Each Hebrew letter relates to numerology, has a numerical equivalent, a numerical value. And so the letter Aleph symbolizes the breath the wind, the air. So we talked about the waters and the fire, but we cannot leave out the air because it is by working with our own breath, our breathing, in which we learn to control the mind, meaning our mind. And so the Aleph is a symbol of the sacred winds of God, the force of the divine. The letter Aleph is our own inner spirit because as the book of Genesis teaches, The Spirit of God flowed upon the face of the waters and hovered upon the, the, those sacred waters in order to provide the first day of Genesis. That Spirit, that Ruach Elohim mentioned in the Old Testament, is precisely Chesed, our spirit, our inner magician, the Aleph. And so that Aleph. It's a profound letter that initiates life, spiritually speaking. If we take the letter Aleph, it's easy to see that it relates to the air when we transpose it upon the symbol of the body and the lungs. You find that there is a straight line, or there's a transverse line followed by two yods, two, you could say, dots. When you take that image of Aleph and transpose it on a human being, you have the spinal, you have the, you could say the spine, but also the two lungs by which we have life, the wind, the breath. Aleph initiates, the breath gives life, 
For as we find in the birth of a physical child, the first moments of birth, the child inhales air and exclaims and cries. And that is the Aleph in action, initiating a new life, beginning. How is that, uh, how does the, the, two, the two spinal columns, you mentioned Ida, Pingala, and then you have the central one, how does that, how does that relate with uh, Pranayama? Well, Pranayama is the science of yoking that energy. Now, with Pranayama, which is the stu- uh, science of interchangeable nostril breathing, we learn to use the Aleph, the breath, the wind, controlling it in order to stimulate the sexual creative energy so that it can rise up the spine. And we have many exercises of pranayama, specifically in books like Kundalini Yoga, as well as uh, the Yellow Book. Uh, I forget who said it, but they say that, um, that breath, uh, pranayama is the billows of the sexual fire. It is. Because the fire is, is sparked by that Aleph. And thank you for that point because it elaborates on what I want to talk about. The fire of sexuality is inflamed by the breathing. It's easy enough to see that if we control our breath, we also control our mind. That breath is the vital energy in the air. But also when we learn to use that spiritual air to hover upon the face of our own sexual waters, we can transmute that energy and bring it up to our mind so that we can create the first day of Genesis uh, as the Hebrews state, the Yehi Aor, uh, Aor, let there be light, and there was light. The word light begins with Aleph, Aor. As we look at the tree of life again, we have Ein Sof Or, Aleph Vav Resh, spells Aor, light. And that, of course, is generated when we learn to work with that, that breath. The letter Aleph, again, is formed by two Yods in a transverse line, which refers to the Trinity, the top of the tree of life. We have three points, three forces manifested in that, in that energy, in that breath. So a magician is somebody who, in the sexual act, controls their breathing, is not carried away by passion, who uses the breath along with his uh, wife together to transform that energy up the spine. And of course, that is allegorized in the Bible in many cases. The letter Aleph we find in a very famous name of God in the book of Exodus, where it says when Moses was confronting the burning tree of life, the burning burning bush, in which the fire of God was present there, and God said, Eheye asher eheye, I am that I am. And thus he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. This is when Moses asked God to tell him, Well, by what name shall I call you when I go to Israel to teach my soul who, who my master is? And the Lord says, Eheye, Asher Eheye, which also means, I am that I am, but also I am he who becomes. I am that becoming. I am that which wills, which initiates, which begins, which is symbolized by the letter Aleph, and if you take that letter Aleph and move it, we don't have a graphic for this, but if you spin it, it'll form the swastika, which is the sacred cross in motion, which, of course, certain people misappropriated that symbol for very degenerated means. But the swastika is the symbol of that Aleph, the cross of sexuality in motion, because a vertical beam is the phallus, the horizontal beam is the uterus. And when the man and wife unite sexually through that cross and they conserve that power, it spins it becomes that Aleph in motion, that swastika, 
which uh, has been prominent in Buddhism and Hinduism especially. But of course, uh, certain Germans took that symbol and really uh, degenerated it for very evil purposes. So the Aleph is the symbol of the magician, the wind, the breath. And it is that spiritual principle that we need to learn to obey, to follow within ourselves in meditation and in our daily life. Because that Aleph is the power that's going to give life to our spirituality. And to emphasize this point, I like to relate to an experience I had many years ago in which I was meditating at home where I physically fell asleep and I woke up in the astral plane, the world of dreams, and I wanted to speak to my being, my divinity, my inner magician face to face. But uh, what happened was I was intuitively called to descend into the earth, go down into the earth towards the center of the, the heart of the planet. And it's a beautiful symbol of how we have to descend down like that magician into the ninth sphere to find that stone of Yesod, the creative energy. And as I approached my being in the dark of that, those caverns, I felt his presence and I heard a heartbeat as well as a, a deep breathing of someone uh, breathing very profoundly as if from exercise. And I felt that power emanating from my own divinity so my being was showing me that I am Aleph, the spirit, the wind, the breath, the presence, which inflames every tree of life. Afterward, I suddenly saw myself standing in an open parking lot. And I saw a yellow car, like a race car, was initi- it started, it started up and started to skid away. And I knew intuitively that I had to chase that car because I knew was I knew symbolically this represented something profound that my inner being wanted me to get stop that car from running around or driving around and of course the struggle was very intense because it was very fast and I was losing energy but I was very determined and eventually the car slowed down as I followed it and I went down to it and then I realized much later how the car is a symbol of the mind and the color yellow is a sign of the intellect which is my being was showing me your mind is chaotic and crazy and is wandering all over all these places and you need, to, you need to chase it by following the breath, Aleph, the spirit. And eventually I, got, I caught up to that car, which is a symbol of taming the mind, becoming still within meditation. And of course, there's a man who in the car was a bald man who came out of the car and I said, are you my being? And he says, no, I'm just here to symbolize something for you. And I woke up and you know, a symbol of, a, of baldness represents, uh, you could say, a lack of chastity. Because long hair in the ancient times was a symbol amongst many cultures of sexual purity. And those who are impure would, or prostitutes or those women who are caught uh, in adulterous activity would be shaved of their hair to symbolize their licentiousness. So that's a symbol internally of how the one that was driving that car was my own desires, my own egotism, my ego. And I had to catch up with it and stop it, tame the mind, control it. That's how you become a magician, a priest. So you learn to control that energy but through the Aleph. And so uh, the sacred name of God, yod heh vav from top to bottom, represents this. We can transpose the tree of life on a human being. We find that Yod 
is that dot that relates to keter, the crown, the truth. Hey relates to the breath in the throat, which is what we actualize through sacred sounds like mantras, sacred sounds and vowels that we pronounce in meditation, and also in the sexual act, where we learn to control the breath, the prana, the air. And the, the vav, again, is, in the spi- is the spinal medulla, but also is the sixth letter relating to the center of the tree of life, the willpower of our spirit, meaning vav. And then last we have hay in the sexual organs, which is a f- uh, profound symbol. Jehovah, we could say in these four letters, is broken down into yod, which is father, hay, which is mother, vav, which is the phallus, hay, which is the uterus. The sacred name of God is actualized between man and woman. And they do that by controlling their aleph. We've also included in this final image the Hebrew letter aleph, along with the lungs, which are represented by the first letter of Hebraic Kabbalah transposed over the body of the human being. We also see the serpent of brass of Moshe, Moses, within the wilderness in the book of Numbers. The serpent of brass in the Torah hides the mysteries of the science of Aleph. The Hebrew term for wilderness is Bemidbar. Debar means word, which reminds us of the genesis of the solar Christic energies within us. For in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 1 verse 1. We learn to work with the energies of the Father, the magician, the solar divinity, through learning to walk with rectitude and love within the wilderness of our own life, our psychological states of suffering. The path of initiation begins with Aleph, the wind, the pronunciations, the sacred sounds we vocalize in alchemy and transmutation. To raise the serpent of bronze like Moses, the kundalini power, is only possible within a matrimony by priest and priestess, represented by the alchemical metals within brass. You see that tin represents Jupiter, man. Copper represents Venus, woman. Together, through fire and heat, you create bronze. Likewise, man and woman, priest and priestess, united by the fire of love, can create the serpent of brass within the spinal column. The magician teaches us to descend into the sexual act, the mysteries of Yasod, which, acrostically speaking, is Sodi in Hebrew, indicating secret, the mercurial science, the hermetic wisdom. Afterward, through the mystical signs of Kabbalah, the high priestess of the Tarot, we rise with the power of the serpent force through learning to control the sexual energies with our breathing, our breath. Too much erratic and passionate breathing works to expel the seminal energies within sexual alchemy. Learning to profoundly inhale and raise the creative energies up the caduceus of Mercury, up our spine, is the science of the magician. All of this is accomplished through Aleph. As we mentioned earlier, the book of Genesis depicts the emergence of light into our interior universe. Let there be light, and there was light. The word for light in Hebrew, as we stated, begins with Aleph, and is spelled Aleph, Vav, Resh. Vav is the spinal column, wherein we raise the prana, the energies of Aleph, from sex, up the spine to the head, which in Hebrew is Rosh. Rosh signifies the brain or the head, which is where we get words like Rosh Hashanah, head of the new year in Judaism. So esoterically speaking, Rosh Hashanah signifies initiation, the beginning of a new year, a new life. The accomplishment of spiritual initiation whereby the Kundalini has risen within the entire spinal column to the mind and then to the heart. 
But many people who follow Judaism don't know the meaning of this, even though the tradition holds these mysteries in a concealed form. So when we raise the light up of our spine, we do so through Aleph, the magician, the real being within ourselves. That serpent that the magician raises is the second arcanum of the Torah, the high priestess, the divine mother. The following passage from Mark chapter 12, verses 20 to 30, emphasizes the path of the magician within our mind, heart, body, and will. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first, commandment of all, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Meaning, Keter is the first commandment, the first law. The magician who sufferer resides at the top of the tree of life. And thou shalt love thy God with all, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, Hod, the emotions, and with all thy soul, Tifereth, human will, volition, and with all thy mind, Netzach, and with all thy strength, Yesod, sexual vital energy. This is the first commandment. The mind is symbolized by the element air and constitutes the aerial nature of thought, which fluctuates and flows and changes like the clouds. The heart is symbolized by the element fire, wherein we either burn with passion, hatred, sentiment, or love. The sexual organs are filled with the seminal waters, wherein we find the element of procreation and spiritual life. And the earth, of course, is our physical body, or matter that contains all of this. We must learn to love our internal magician with all three aspects of ourselves, known as the three brains of Gnostic psychology, intellect, emotions, and sexuality, which we'll be discussing and explaining in more depth throughout this course. Mind, heart, and sexuality constitute our internal machinery wherein the forces of the magician can act. As we indicated, the four elements are represented by the quadrature of the table that the magician must command since it's precisely through his power that he can organize the contents of our psyche. The four corners of the table also remind us of the four Gospels through which divinity manifests and acts. Each Gospel represents one of the four elements, or essential parts of nature, symbolized by the four holy creatures mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, which are, from the book of Mark, we could say this Gospel represents fire, the lion. The book of Luke represents the earth, the bull or ox. The book of Matthew relates to water, an angel or human being. And the book of John represents the air, the high-flying eagle. The table with its contents is the matter composed of four elements. The matter or mother, mater dei, material of God, in which we can elaborate the soul. Those elements are in a potential state for spiritual creation, which the magician can act upon to generate life. Of course, he cannot originate the soul without the help of the Divine Mother, the High Priestess, the receptive force, who is the subject of our next lecture. To conclude, we'll, uh, I would like to relate to you uh, an excerpt from one of Samael Enver's books in which he explains the nature of Aleph in depth. So from Tyrone Kabbalah, he states the following, The great wind is the ancient of days, the root of our being, Keter, the occult of the occult, the mercy of the mercies, the goodness of goodness. The hair of the Ancient of Days has 13 ringlets. If we add 13 among itself, we will have 1 plus 3 equals 4. Again, the four-letter name of God, Jehovah. 1 is the masculine principle, fire. 2 is the feminine principle, water. 
Three is the sun of creation. Four is the unity of life. This is the holy tetragrammaton. This is the name of the eternal one, yod He vav He. The hurricane, the four winds, the breath, the word is represented in the beard of the Ancient of Days. This beard has 13, 13 locks. The four winds are yod He vav He. The thirteenth arcanum is the Ancient of Days. Only by defeating death can we incarnate the Ancient of Days. The funeral ordeals of the 13th Arcanum are more frightful and terrible than the abyss. In order, to have, in order to achieve the realization of the Ancient of Days within ourselves, we must totally accomplish the 13th Arcanum within ourselves. Which is, we need a supreme death and a supreme resurrection in order to have the right of incarnating the Ancient of Days. Only the one who incarnates him, the magician, has the right of internally wearing the hair and the beard of a venerable elder. Only in the presence of the angels of the death, after becoming victorious in the funeral ordeals, can we incarnate the Ancient of Days. Whosoever incarnates him becomes another elder in eternity. The mantra Pander permits us to reach unto the Ancient of Days. This is possible within profound meditation. In the world of Atiluth, there is a marvelous temple where the majestic presence of the Ancient of Days is shown unto us. The Ancient of Days dwells in the world of Keter. The chief of that world is the angel Metatron. This angel was the prophet Enoch. With the help of this angel, we can enter into the world of Keter. The disciple who wants to penetrate into Keter will beg to the angel Metatron during his states of profound meditation and he will be helped. The Aztec goddess of death has a crown of nine human skulls. The crown Keter is the symbol of the Ancient of Days. Of course, the letter of the, the Arcanum of Death, 13, which is a very famous number, represents the death of our impurity so that we can give birth to the soul. This is known as immortality amongst the, the Tarotic. So the skull, we could say the letter Rish, the head, because the word Rosh Hashanah means head of the new year, is the microcosmic correspondence of the ancient of days in the human being. Indeed, we need a supreme resurrection in order to attain the self-realization of the ancient of days within ourselves. In the world of Keter, we comprehend that the great law controls all that is created. From the world of the elder of days, we see the human multitudes as leaves hurled by the wind. The great wind is the terrible law of the ancient of days. Vox populi vox dei. Our social revolt, contemplated from the world of the ancient of days, is a law in action. Each person, the entire multitudes, look like leaves detached from the trees, hurled by the terrific wind of the ancient of days. People do not know about these things. People are only preoccupied by acquiring money and more money. This is the poor suffering humanity, who are only miserable leaves hurled by the great wind, miserable leaves hurled by the great law. Our authentic being in its essential root is the Ancient of Days, we could say the magician. He is the Father in us. He is our true being. Our disciples must now concentrate and meditate very deeply on the Ancient of Days. The ecstasy samadhi must be induced during meditation. May peace reign in all hearts. Let us not forget that peace is light. Let us not forget that peace is an essence emanated from the Absolute. It is the light emanated from the Absolute. This light is the light of the Ancient of Days. Christ said, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give unto you. John 14, verse 27. And in conclusion, I'll give you a practice you can use in order to experience the nature of Aleph. I gave you one in relation to this excerpt, but in the book Tarot and Kabbalah by Samuel and Vior, he explains that 
one can meditate on the sign of the infinite. First trace that image of the infinite with your first finger, your middle finger and your thumb, or in your heart. Trace it for a second, and then lay in bed, meditate, relax, concentrate on that image in your mind. Fall asleep on that image, because that symbol will help to awaken consciousness in the astral plane. Because that symbol represents the continuity of consciousness from vigil to dream states, symbolized by its, uh, its open end and its closed end, which continually cycles eternally. You can ask to be brought to a temple in Tibet, which is a sacred monastery known as the uh, Sacred Order of Tibet, which is formed by 201 members, 72 Brahmins or masters, led by Bhagavan Akhlaiva. And by very, very, being very dedicated, we can travel to that temple and receive certain ordeals so that we can become initiated as magicians in that priesthood. It's a very ancient order. And through certain works, we wake up in the astral plane by imagining that symbol, and then we'll be taken to that place so that we can be brought into that higher brotherhood and sisterhood of the divine. And of course, one thing that Samael mentions that one thing I verified is that when they call you, they pull you by your feet in the astral plane. You feel a magnetic pull where they'll take you where you need to go and they'll pull you out of your body and you'll be taken to that place directly. So you can invoke Bhagavan Akhlaiva as a master and that exercise is given in the book Teron Kabbalah. The side of the infinite. Same, same symbol of the eyes of Ra, which is the Egyptian god. The, eight, the, eight. the holy eight, which is again represented in our spine. So you do that laterally, is that correct? Yes, you do it laterally on your heart. Because the thing is, you're working with your vav, your heart, because then that letter vav relates to the heart itself, which is the center of the spine, and which we imagine with our willpower and our concentration, that image, so that it enters into our consciousness. Any questions? Yes. So does a magician have like power over the archetypes? Well, the, the magician is the archetypes, is those forces, because God is not something external, but is uh, constituted by many principles and forces in nature. And so those archetypes of the soul belong to God. And the being or the divine is not just some... Uh, we represent him by an, um, an old man with a beard, as, as Samael mentions, but also by um, the symbol of the magician. But it, that there's a representation of a force that is universal. So those archetypes are that are the being, belong to the being. So when actually, I guess, uh, performing the tarot readings, um, you take the different archetypes, and like you said, you take the, is it the minor arcana? First, uh, ma- one major arcana, and then you shuffle the minor deck, the 56, take one out from each. Or take one, shuffle it, take out one card, shuffle it again, take out another. So you have a total of three cards. So, um, so fate is supposed to play, I guess, so a large part of in what is revealed to you at that moment. Um, right? So like, if you get an answer, are you able to then perform another reading? And say you get a different answer, is it that that answer is different? Or is it that you just take both answers? It's a good question, because that tendency to want to get the answer we want is inherent to everybody. Yeah. Because the thing is, you know, 
what's essential to the practice is that when you use the cards, the first answer you get is going to be the answer. And usually the mind doesn't like it. I mean, I've done this many times where I ask for help and I got a card like 12, suffering, the apostle. I don't like this. This is painful. But then I kept wanting to change the answer. And then I really meditated on this and realized that, no, you, you know, God gives you a message. You, you keep it. The mind, is, the mind is what's stubborn. It wants the message to conform to its ideas. But the answer will always elude the intellect, which is why when you get an answer from the card, sit on it for months, if need be, until you understand that card in relation to whatever problem you're facing. Because as the Talmud states, a dream not interpreted is like a letter unread. Same thing with the Tarot. You, know, you get an answer. If you don't stick to it and really contemplate that response, you'll be missing a very beautiful teaching because the being speaks through those numbers. And of course, those answers go against the mind, the ego, which doesn't, what wants certain things, certain things to conform to its will. So like, it might not be logical, but at the same time, that doesn't mean it's not right. Well, it'll be, it'll be logical, but it's a superior logic because our common logic from universities and scholasticism is very limited. There's a divine logic, which Plato talked about, called it nous, a type of consciousness that is very elevated in which you really you know things without having to rationalize about them. And it can relate to superior concepts, superior ways of being. And uh, you can read about that in the Republic, the symbol of the allegory of the cave, in which the soul escapes from the cave of the mind in order to experience the light. And But when that person comes back into the cave to help others out. People don't understand this individual because they're chained, they're next to the wall and they're looking at certain images of, from a fire behind them projected onto the wall in front of them like shadows. And they only see the according to their limitations. So the mind is like that. Even when you escape for a moment, you may lose that experience and you come back. But we learn to develop a superior type of logic through experience, which is logos, which is a symbol of Christ. Uh, again, the Trinity relates to Keter, Chokmah, Bina, first Logos, second Logos, third Logos. So it's a divine reason. So the answer will make a lot of sense, but it requires a lot of intuition because it's intuitive logic, not intellectual logic, if that makes sense. Any more questions? We will... Uh can meditate. So we'll be continuing this uh, lectures on uh, the rest of the 22 Arcana. Does that mean should we keep giving up um, coming back to the cave and trying to bring more people uh, out? Well, you do that by your, your experience and your, your own understanding. You know, one doesn't have to become a teacher, but, you know, in fact, we learn through our, we learn through example more than by precept. Because, you know, the way that you can help out people out of the cave is, yeah, giving them the knowledge is very important. It's helpful. It can make a big difference. But, uh, of course, that requires sacrifice because the people who are in that allegory trying to get out of the cave again were very resistant, very negative. They didn't like being told, oh, I'm egotistical and I'm wrong and I'm, you know, and then trying to get them to change is very hard. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, you receive the Kabbalah experiences based on how you sacrifice for others, which is an important factor in this teaching. We talk about three factors relating to the three forces. We have uh, holy affirmation, which we could say is uh, sacrifice for others, to affirm the truth, 
to teach unto others or to help others according with our skills and our disposition. We have holy negation, which relates to, to deny ourselves, go against our own defects, to comprehend our errors and to change them. And then uh, we also have holy reconciliation, which is to bear the cross. So Jesus says, if any man will follow after me, let him deny himself, bear his cross, and follow me. So we have the factors of birth of the soul to the cross of sexuality. We have death of the desire of ego relating to the negation of our own defects. And then we have sacrifice for others to affirm the truth. So we all follow those three principles in our own way, but we do it in accordance with the will of our own inner magician. And so we learn that through meditation. But um, of course, you know, trying to help others is always very painful, especially when we have a lot of our own defects, which get in the way, which is really the primary problem when we're trying to help another person. It's because we have our own faults that we need to rectify that prevent us from doing the best that we can, in a certain, especially in difficult situations with difficult people, so to speak. If that makes sense, if that answers your question. And thank you for bringing that up because Dante, the first book of the Divine Comedy, is the descent into hell. First you descend and face your own defects, and then you purify yourselves on purgatory, and then you ascend. So if you want to ascend according to the magician, you've got to descend. What about that caption that says, Abandon all hope ye who here? <laughs> and uh, it's interesting because hope in the, in the Tarot is the, I believe it's the 17th card, 17th card of the Tarot. In order to have hope, we have to, we have to be very strong because that descent into facing our own evilness is very painful very, or difficult in which we will want to run away from the facts. But if we are those few people who are rarely remain true to our principles, then we can make the ascent like Dante did, with his, of course, with the help of his guru, his teacher. Not just a physical teacher, but you know, in, in the internal planes. Virgil was his master. Virgil. Virgil. He wrote uh, the Aeneid, which you can read about in the book Gnostic Magic of the Runes. Was he an initiate, Virgil? Oh yeah, great master. The Aeneid is a very uh, Kabbalistic text, which uh, we could talk about in another time. Well, he conveyed. Uh, he he talked about the birth of Rome, Amore, the church. Which is, or the city of Rome, which um, backwards spells love. So it's a symbol of the battles he goes, any soul goes through against uh, the ego, our defects, our own desires. Um, how far can people go in, uh, like without realizing that they're an initiate? Well, here's the thing. Um, certain experiences may be kept from the soul, from divinity, to a degree, but... Uh, Certain initiations, you know, which really belong to the being, the divine, um, by special grace, we could be given that experience. I know there's a case of uh, Samayon Vior when he was entering into initiation at a certain degree. He, um, he actually wasn't aware of the initiation itself as it happened in the internal planes. But then he was told later, no, you, by his wife, no, you were, you were in the temple and your inner being, Samael, was being initiated into the church. And... And then, he, and then he meditated and then he remembered. So it may take some will. I mean, there's not necessarily a set limit, but I would say that the more you awaken, the more you're going to remember, the more that you're going to know. And in the beginning, it's usually we are very unconscious, very asleep, 
we don't know what's going on psychologically. So we could just be going through sufferings and transformations, but really the being is going through initiation? And it's the being who is initiated. Because okay. the magician, the priest, the one who gains power, is our spirit. Now we do our part, but we have to recognize that we are nothing. Because the being is powerful. If the being is powerful up there, it means down here we're, we're the opposite. So we shouldn't be proud. But instead we should you know, do our part. And that gives experiences and qualities and understanding to our divinity. So the magician, the priest, is our own being. And he's the one who receives the initiations. It's to unite with the being. And therefore, the soul is not the soul anymore. It is the being. It is reflected. So think of, the, think of it like you're looking at a mirror. The mirror is the soul, according to Ibn Arabi, who's a Sufi master. says that you know, God looks in the mirror at himself to contemplate himself. Self-realization is when the, the mirror has been polished through dhikr, remembrance, in Islam, so that the soul is perfectly reflected, or the soul reflects the image of God within and so the soul is lost in that, in that divine, divine being. So self-realization is when all that parts of the tree of life, the ten sephiroth, are integrated. They're not separate anymore, but they're unified. And then they can return uh, with knowledge back to the absolute. So that's the, a very lofty goal. But uh, we first begin by initiation through overcoming our daily sufferings by beginning a new way of life in relation to the first arcanum of the Tarot. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.